0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. We're hearing God's Word this morning from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. And uh, Philippians, uh, if you've been here, you, you know, uh, but if you haven't, you may may not know that Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, a congregation, a uh, church that he had helped, that he had started, and a church that he dearly loved. Um, and Philippians is a letter that is characterized by joy and excitement. It is full of joy and the joy in, that is ours in Christ. It is, is a beautiful, uplifting letter. It's important, though, to remember as we're reading Philippians that this is not a joy that is superficial, but this is a joy that comes out of a place of hardship. The Philippians had a tough life. They started from tough beginnings. Paul wrote this letter from prison. So this is a letter that very much deals in the reality of life. And today we see that part of the reality... Last week we saw a stirring call to reflect on Christ and Christ's sacrifice for us, Christ's example of service, and end in this beautiful hymn of Christ coming down to earth and being raised up and every knee shall bow and all that kind of thing. And today we get a call, quite frankly, to obedience. Um, because this is part of the Christian life. This is part of the joy of getting to obey our King Jesus. So just as this was good news for the Philippians, this call to obedience is good news for us today. So listen as I read uh, from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you gave this word to Paul to give to the Philippians. We thank you that you have given this word to us. That we believe that this is your word for us today. We pray now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak this word deep into our hearts, that it would not only be information for our heads, but transformation for our lives, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. How many of you have heard of a man named Athanasius? Some? Just, Just a few. How many of you could give me a summary of who Athanasius was? Okay, Brandon could. I knew I, knew I was going to get a hand from Brandon. Brandon knows about Athanasius. But most of us, we may, we may have heard the name Athanasius, depending on how much we've read about church history or what kind of church we grew up in. Uh, in, in some church traditions, Athanasius is considered a saint. There's a feast. Um, all church traditions consider Athanasius a, an incredibly important person in the history of the church. See, Athanasius was the Bishop of Alexandria in the fourth century. And Athanasius was the Bishop of Alexandria for 45 years. He was Bishop for a long time, from like 327 to 381, I think, something like that. Uh, Something in there. And so in the middle of the 300s, the fourth century, Athanasius was Bishop of Alexandria, which was a very important city in that time, in the Roman Empire. Now, Athanasius was bishop for 45 years. But during that time, he was exiled by the Roman emperors, emperors, kicked out of his bishop, bishop's position, not once, not twice, but five times Athanasius was exiled. Do you know why why Athanasius continually was exiled by these Roman emperors? Because Athanasius was a stalwart defender of the full deity of Christ. That the, uh, the Nicene Creed that we said today was written, mostly written, in 325. And it was, it was written in the midst of this controversy about whether Jesus was fully God himself or whether he was a little bit subordinate to God, a created being, a slightly lesser kind of God. And the, 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 the people who said that, that Jesus was a little bit less than God, they were called, the, they were the Arians following this guy Arius. And so they said Jesus is like God, but not quite God. And so the creed and Orthodox Christianity throughout most of church history has said that Jesus is, in fact, fully God. That he is of one likeness with the Father, one substance. And so, so the problem was, in that time, Arius and his guys and the Roman emperors tended to support him. And so Athanasius, over his 45 years, was frequently standing up on his own. In fact, so much so that it became known as Athanasius Contramundum, Athanasius against the world, when he would stand to defend what we saw here in Philippians. We saw it last week in Philippians, that Christ, though he was in the form of God, though he was in very nature, God. And Athanasius said, this is true. This is right. And he stood up. Against the world. And we see here in Philippians that this passage that we're seeing today in verse 12, starts in verse 12. It says, therefore. And as somebody said to me long ago, whenever you see a therefore, you have to say, what's the therefore? Therefore. And the therefore is there because this follows after the stirring call that Jesus has made himself nothing and has been exalted to the highest place as king over the whole world. And so, of course, if Jesus is king over the whole world, we have, to stand, we, we have to stand with him. And Athanasius knew that, and he took a stand against all the forces, and he stood up to say, Jesus is God. He stood up to say, this is true, and I will not back down, even if it gets me sent away time and time again by the Roman authorities. So, and, and we see here, not only, you know, we, we see that Jesus is Lord overall, we also see in verse, uh, down in verse 14, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So, there, Paul's, Paul's honest here. Like, the, the world around us is messed up. There are temptations to, to believe what is wrong that we need to stand against. So, in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation, we recognize that Jesus is Lord and we must stand with him. And we look at men like Athanasius and we look at others who have stood up in the course of history and say, this is wrong. This needs to change. And, so, and we admire them, rightly so. But what's fascinating here is that Paul is calling the Philippians to take a stand, to stand with Jesus. As you have always obeyed, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's calling him to obey, to stand up. But as much as we admire men like Athanasius and others like him, our call to stand is not often the same as Athanasius. Our call to stand and obey plays out in much smaller ways. So the question for us this morning is, what does it mean for us to stand up with King Jesus? What does it mean to stand in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? What does that actually look like for us? We admire men like Athanasius. We admire others who stand for justice, who stand for righteousness, who stand for truth. But most of us are not them. So what does it look like for us? What did it look like for the Philippians? And Paul here gives them, and I know this is dangerous, there's four things. There's not three but, but hang with me. We can handle four points that Paul offers to the Philippians. And, and there's four questions that we might ask about what this means to stand up for our King Jesus. The first is a what. What does this actually mean? The second is why. Why should we stand? The third is who is doing this standing? And the fourth is how can we actually stand? So can you hang with me for four points instead of three? All right, we can do this. So what does standing look like? This, is just, this, this has just been fascinating to me as I've reflected on this this week. You know, Paul's, Paul's given this stirring message about Jesus and his being exalted, his sa- sacrifice and his exaltation. And then he says, obey, work out your salvation. What does that actually mean? Look at verse 14. Paul says, work out your salvation, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That is what Paul tells the Philippians. It's his prime example of what it means to obey, what it means to work out your salvation, what it means to stand for Jesus in a twisted generation, is to do all things without grumbling or disputing, without arguing or complaining. And we hear that and we think, you know what? Maybe I do want to do the Athanasius style stand or some other stand that I can make on. Maybe I could make a stand on Facebook or a stand on Twitter or maybe I could write a letter. But Paul tells us our prime. Now, that's not to say that those things are not have their place and important and valuable and people need to do those things. But Paul tells the Philippians and he's telling us that our primary stand for Jesus is to do things without grumbling or complaining. And this is both challenging and convicting because it is so, so easy to grumble and complain. In fact, many of us have this, we just do it reflexively. You know, if you say something, I'm probably, I'm tempted to just say the opposite. And, you know, let's just, let's just, let's just say something different. Or if you ask me to do something I'm like, eh, I don't really feel like doing that. We grumble, we complain, we complain about people, we complain about things, we complain about what we have to do, we complain about life. This is very challenging, this is very convicting, but this is God's word, that we are called to live our lives without grumbling or complaining or disputing, it says here. Does that mean that there is no place for standing up for righteousness and justice? Of course there is a place for that. Of course there is a place to say, you have hurt me, you have done wrong. But the specific word for us this morning is that most of the time, most of our lives should be characterized by not grumbling or disputing, by seeking to do the ordinary stuff of life. There's a song I've been listening to. Um, I, I even forget who sings it. It just, it just comes up on my Spotify. But it's called Dream Small. And you know we said, dream big dreams, look to the world, do great things. But it says, dream small. And it's a, it's a beautiful song talking about how we demonstrate the, the, the obedience that God calls us to in the little things of life, flipping burgers, building roads, building other stuff, cleaning up toys, cooking dinner, acts of service, these simple things day in, day out of life. This is what we do to stand for Jesus. This is what we do to stand for Jesus. So the question that comes to each of us is, what, what am I trying to do? Do I, if I believe in Jesus, if I believe that Jesus is Lord and King, what stand do I need to make? And this, the doing all things without grumbling or disputing, this is a revolutionary stand in a crooked and twisted generation. We see it in ourselves. We see it in people around us. Everything is about, everything is about controversy and this and that and speaking up and saying this and to live a life of quiet obedience and service to others. Is a revolutionary stand. It is a revolutionary stand in our churches. It is a revolutionary stand in our culture. So why? Why should we make this stand? Paul says it here in verse again in verse 14 or in verse 15. After he said, You be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Why do we stand Why do we obey? Why do we do all things without grumbling or disputing? That we may shine as lights in the world. That is our motivation. What does it mean to shine as lights? This is an image we get often throughout the Bible. Jesus says, let your light shine. We saw it in Daniel. We were in Daniel before, uh, back before Easter, uh, before Philippians. And we were seen in Daniel, the end of Daniel. It said, he talked about the righteous will shine as lights forever. Where does this come from? This comes because we were made to reflect God's image. When he talks about shining as lights in this crooked generation, shining as lights in the world, is our reflection of God's image. God made each one of us in his image, like him, to reflect his beauty and glory. And he's telling us here in Philippians that the way we reflect God's image, the way we reflect his glory... Is to do things quietly and in sacrificially serving others without grumbling, without arguing, without disputing, and that reflects God's glory to the world. So how you know we look again, we look at the people who make stands, like Athanasius and like others, and we think, how can my acts of service that nobody sees do anything for that? But it can. It can. Because it reflects God's glory. And if we are reflecting God, we are no longer trusting our own efforts, our own abilities, our own eloquence to make change happen. But we are trusting in his work because he created us and he said to do it this way. And so we do it to shine the light to those around us. And that takes us, if we've got the what that we do basic, simple things of life sacrificially without grumbling or disputing, and the why, that we may shine as lights in the, in the world, that we may reflect God's image. Then the who, who do we do this with? Who do we do this for? Paul goes on here, and it's, it's kind of interesting again. In verse 16, he starts talking about himself. That in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Why would Paul have run in vain or labored in vain? Because he had cared for the Philippians. He had poured himself out for them. And if they do not stand with Jesus in these quiet, humble ways, he might feel like all that work was for nothing. And then he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad... And rejoice with me. So this this drink offering business that was something they understood in a in a more in a culture of sacrifices and offerings and that kind of thing. You would literally pour something out on the altar as an offering to the god that you were worshiping. And they did it in the, in the Old Testament to worship the true god. Undoubtedly, the Romans with, that the Philippians were familiar with did the same thing to their gods. So they they understood the idea of being poured out as a sacrifice. And Paul says, "This is what my life feels like." It has been poured out as a sacrifice to my God, but for your sake. And so the who that we do this with, that we live our lives of quiet obedience, we do this with one another. This is a community effort so that our acts are not solo acts. Yes, there are times for Athanasius against the world. There are men who have to stand up like that because the whole world has turned against them. But day in day out, we are blessed with a community that we can do this together, and we can see one another living our quiet lives of obedience, and we can learn from the example of one another, and we can and we can see that the other part of this is is who we do it with, but also who we do it for, that we pour ourselves out not just for our own benefit and blessing, though it will come, not just out of obedience to God, though that is right and good and pure motivation to do things out of obedience to God, but the obedience that God calls us to, that he will bless us in the midst of, is for the sake of others. Paul poured himself out for the Philippians, and in mentioning that, he is calling them and calling us to pour ourselves out for the sake of other people. And so the question, as it comes back to you always, is we put God first, in our lives, we follow the example of Jesus that we saw last week, and that leads to putting others before ourselves. And so the question is where is God calling me to sacrifice? Where is God calling me to look outside of myself, to humbly, without grumbling, without disputing, without trying to call attention to myself, to serve other people, to live lives of service and sacrifice, to say, Yes. I will invite people into my home to study the Bible together, to connect with one another. I will give of my time to go, to, to commit to being part of a Sunday worship gathering, to being part of a community group, a Bible study, whatever it is, I will give of my time. It is good for me, but it is good for the other people there. It is good for us to be together and see one another. It is a blessing to others. It is a blessing for others who are already in our community. It's a blessing for others outside of our community. We started this Backyard Bible Club uh, in our neighborhood in uh, Redmill for kids in the neighborhood who are not yet part of our church. Of course, kids who are part of our church come too, but kids who are not part of our church can come and hear God's word and learn God's word. It's something we can do in other neighborhoods as well. It's an act of service and sacrifice to say, I love the people around me. Uh, Joy and I have been talking in in coming in June. You'll hear more soon. We're going to be talking, uh, have a couple of weeks of training specifically on evangelism. How can we share God's word with people around us? So some of you think, man, I believe in Jesus. I would love to be able to tell other people about it, but I don't really know how to do that. We're going to talk about how to do that because that's how we pour ourselves out, taking the time to learn how to share God's love and God's truth with others, and then taking the time to do it, to build those relationships, to take the risks, say, hey, Jesus would be good for you. Jesus not only would be good for you, but Jesus actually demands your obedience. Jesus calls all people to follow him. And so this is how we, we, in these small ways, then how? How can we be sustained to do this? How can this actually work? And we see it here. I left it for the end that we would not forget about it. In verse 13, after Paul has called him to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If we started from the starting point that Jesus is king over all and Jesus reigns over all and has set us the example of sacrifice and service and is reigning now on high that we saw in the verses before this that we talked more about last week. We start from that foundation, that striving towards, and we're going to stand from him. But this is how it actually works out. None of what I have just said about the what, the why, and the who does anything if we do not have the how that God works in you. For Jesus did not simply go and set an example for us. He did not simply ascend into heaven to be up there reigning and say, come, come and work your way up to me. Work your way. That's not what he did. In his death, in his resurrection, in the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus put his very life into ours, into the lives of those who put their faith in Jesus. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive his very life into ourselves. And that makes us acceptable in God's eyes so that God does not count our sins against us. God does not punish us for our sins. That's what we say every week when we confess our sins and receive his forgiveness. But it also gives the power of his life to us so that we can live this out so that we can be lights in a crooked and twisted generation in these lives of simplicity and sacrifice and service. And so how do we do this? We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, by Jesus' life taken into us. And we've taken Jesus' life into ourselves through faith in him. Then we can pour ourselves out, just as Jesus poured himself out. Does it make it easy? No, it's not easy. It's still going to be hard. It's still going to feel like suffering. It's still going to feel like service and sacrifice. But we have Jesus inside us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're doing it together. I think I've used this illustration before, but it is so, it's so good. I can't help but use it again. We're the child on the monkey bars. The child is up there on the monkey bars with his parent holding him up. And anybody watching knows that the parent is doing the work. Right? And if you've been the parent holding the child on the monkey bars, it gets tiring, we'll be honest. The parent is holding the child, but the child, as he goes across the monkey bars with the parent holding him up, the child is so excited. And yet we know, we know when we watch that child, if the parent lets go, pew, he's gone in a second. There's no way he can hold on. But here's the thing. To the child, it's not just, it's not just a fake or a game. The child is actually working too. The child really is straining and doing everything he can to hold on to those bars. Yeah, he can't do it, not without the parent holding him, but it's still effort. And in the same way, we know that Christ is at work in us. Christ has played out the, the, laid out the path before us to walk in. He has given us the strength to walk with him, to walk together, but it is work for us. And he calls us to make our way across those monkey bars working out our salvation with fear and trembling, desiring to take this stand in a life of simple obedience, a life without grumbling or disputing. How can this work? That's how we can do it. How can it work? It works because of God, that God is here. If God is working us, then he can take all these things. How did Athanasius change the course of the church? It wasn't really because of him and his standing up. Of course, we admire that, but... Really, it came about because of all the individual Christians saying, I believe, and choosing to repeat the creed, and saying, yes, I believe that Jesus is God. It's about all the individual decisions. And this is true in so many other areas of life as well. All the things we want to see changed about our world, all the the mess of our culture, the twistedness of it, the confusion, the lies, the deception, all these kinds of things. How do these change? They change by God's power, by us doing our simple acts of obedience in humility, serving one another, obeying our King Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you gave this word to us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that we may actually do good in this world and that our good deeds, our acts of service that you take them and you build them up into something that is far greater than each of us individually. So we pray that you would do that. We pray that you would do that with this church, with Resurrection Community, that you would make it into something great by our individual acts of quiet obedience and service. We pray that you would do that for all of your churches together, that your kingdom would be known throughout this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.